aren't moving and shaking in the world, but there's some issues in our life that we need to deal with. Have you ever had a conversation with your spouse and you walk in and you're happy and you're go lucky and you're, you know, whatever, and you walk in and you start talking to your spouse and very quickly you realize that you're talking to a cold statue, right? And your spouse is not reciprocating the happy that you have and you don't know what, this only happens to men, let's just be honest. It only happens to men. And men, we're happy because we're like dogs and we're just happy about everything in life. And so we're like talking to our spouse and she is cold and hard. And immediately you start thinking, what have I done that I don't remember that I did, right? What was the accidental thing that I did that my wife is mad about and I don't remember that I did it? And you're, you're recycling through your brain everything you've ever done. The thing is, when we go to God, sometimes we go to God and we've got some stuff in our life and then we wonder why we're not getting anything answered. We go to God in James chapter uh, 4. I I don't want to read the whole thing. But in James chapter 4, basically what it says is James says, listen, you're going to God and your prayers aren't being answered because you've got the wrong motives. You're coming in with selfish motives. You're coming in here with, 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 with evil motives and you're praying about stuff. You're asking about stuff and you don't see answers because your motives aren't right. Get your heart right before you pray. James goes on to say, you've got sin in your life. You need to repent and wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Why does he say that? Because he knows that if we want our prayers to be answered, we can't go to God with all of this junk in our life. At some point, we've got to get those things cleaned out. Don't be going to God with wrong motives. Don't be going to God with a bunch of sin and a sinful lifestyle and expect him to answer. It doesn't work that way. Another place in the Bible talks about how we have unforgiveness in our life. If we can't forgive other people, then God can't forgive us. Our prayers get blocked or or there's a barrier of unforgiveness in our life. So I'm just saying today, before you go into prayer, before you get mad at God for not answering your prayers, check your heart. David said, search me, O God. See if there's anything in me that's not right and get it out of me. That was his first prayer before he prayed about anything else. It's important to check for those barriers. And then the third thing that we got to check for is distractions. And I'm not talking about kids walking in the room. I'm talking about just just distractions in general. And and one of the things we talk about with distractions is we talk about fasting. Now, in our church, we don't, uh, in the past, we haven't really done a lot of talking about fasting. But but more recently, probably the last year, we've talked more and more about fasting and, and learning how to incorporate fasting into our lifestyle. That it's not just something we do every so often, once a year, but it's something that we do as a part of who we are. Now, now we need, uh, a lot of times in the Bible, they did fast food. And fasting food is a good thing because what that does is that teaches you how to depend on God to sustain you and, and strengthen you. And that's good. But I, I want to tell you something. A lot of people preach, you got to fast food, you got to fast food. But it doesn't matter to me if you're hungry and you're still on Facebook getting mad about everything that you see. It doesn't matter to me if you're hungry and you're still watching the news and you're afraid of everything that comes around the corner. Fear and anger and sin become distractions to my prayer life. It doesn't matter if I'm hungry or not. Does that make sense? So yes, fast food, that's good. My wife and I, we fast Um, A couple of times a week, we have certain times that we fast and we do fast food, but it doesn't do us any good. It just makes us hungry and irritable if we're still distracted by fear and anger. It it just makes us it just makes us lose a couple of pounds. Right. If we're not if we're not 
incorporating prayer into that. So when I fast, part of my fast is to, is to lessen the distraction of my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. I don't want to live by my feelings. I want to live by the Spirit of God moving and living inside of me. And so when I fast, I weaken that soul, that emotions side of me where fear and anger is, and I strengthen the spiritual side of me, right, where I follow God. So that's what, that's what I, I just wanted to throw those thoughts out to you. But, but really the meat of the message today, I want to talk about having a powerful and effective prayer life. How many of you would say, I want a powerful and effective prayer life? Yeah, all of us do, right? Nobody's sitting here saying, you know what, Gabriel, I'd really like a real weak and anemic prayer life. If you could just teach me how to do nothing, that would be great. Nobody wants that. We all want something powerful. A friend of ours, um, actually a friend of my dad's, is a guy named Chris, and, and um, I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories that I've ever heard about prayer. And so, uh, so our friend, I just even think about it, it makes me laugh a little bit. And some of you have heard this before, but our friend uh, Chris, one time when he was younger, um, he went to the hospital. Somebody in his church had had an accident, and they were in the hospital and they were dying, and so Chris went to go visit them in the hospital, and he's in the ER, and he's looking at this guy, and the doctors are saying, there's no hope, there's nothing left, we don't know what to do, and Chris just looks at him, he doesn't know what to pray, and they're asking him to pray for this dying man, and Chris just didn't know what to pray, like, what do you pray in those moments, right, like, he doesn't know what to pray, and so he just says, God, give him peace, and as soon as he says, God, give him peace, the guy redlined, beep, dead. And Chris got scared because he thought, I just prayed this guy to death. Like, I just killed this guy with my prayers. And so then Chris goes, no, God, no, no, give him life, give him life. And then all of a sudden the guy started beat, 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 started coming back, and, and he was okay, and the guy lived. Now, to me, that's a powerful prayer life. Whether he meant to or not, that's pretty powerful, right? I've never asked Chris to pray for me one time because I don't know what he's going to pray. But we want to have a powerful and effective prayer life. And so James teaches us about how to have a powerful and effective prayer life. The same guy we just talked about earlier that said you got to get the barriers out of the way. you got to get the sin out of your life. you got to get the motives out of the way. He's going to go on and tell us. And, and the cool thing about James teaching us about prayer is I'll be able to tie everything back to Jesus. Because James actually uh, was one of Jesus' disciples. So James is writing about prayer based on what he already learned from Jesus. And so in James chapter 5, this is our key verse for the day, 5 uh, verses 15 and 16, it says this, Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We're not going to get into this today, but the prayer for each other is powerful and effective too, right? You want something really to happen, you get with somebody, have that together prayer. And then he says this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There's three terms in there I want to I hit on uh, quickly that I feel like we need to apply to our life. He, he says this, he says, a prayer offered in faith. So we're going to talk about a prayer of faith. And then he talks about being righteous and being earnest. And so I want to talk about this. But the first one I want to talk about is a prayer offered in faith. Now, a lot of times we kind of struggle with the idea of faith. What does it mean to have faith? And how much faith do I have? And, and Jesus talks about measures of faith. He says that there's, a, there's faith as small as a mustard seed. You can move a mountain. And so, so there's apparently certain levels of faith. So what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to have a prayer of faith? 
Well, Jesus tells us a story in Luke chapter 18. And he, he actually tells two stories in Luke 18. We're going to read both of them today. And, and in this first story, uh, I want you to see what faith is all about. Listen to this. One day, Luke 18, 1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow out of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. That is a real jerk, right? When you think about that, he doesn't care anything about God or people. I don't feel God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. This feels a lot like me and my kids. This is my parenting. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a decision, a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. So I'm going to pause here for just a second. Jesus is not saying that God is unjust or that God doesn't care about people. Jesus is saying, look at this jerk of a guy that even the jerk will will finally give justice to someone that's willing to keep coming back so jesus is saying listen there is a place of persistence that we need in our life but here's the thing verse eight this is the part i i I really gets me i tell you he will grant justice to them quickly but when the son of man returns how many will he find on earth who have faith That has nothing to do with the story when I first read it. When I first looked at it, I was like, Jesus, why'd you throw that in there? Like, here you are talking about being persistent. You're talking about day and night going back to the judge. Why did you throw in, who is he going to find that has faith? And then it hit me. What is faith? Faith in the Bible is not just the word faith. It actually means faithful. We talk about this a lot. It means fidelity. It means consistency. It means persistence. When I have faith, faith says it doesn't matter what I see in front of me. It doesn't matter that the door is closed. It doesn't matter what the judge says. I continue to return. It doesn't matter if the prayer isn't answered. I continue to pray. Why? Because I am faithful to pray. I am faithful to go after what God has put in front of me. What we do a lot of times is we lose faith. We stop. We stop what we're doing. We stop what we're praying for because we hit a little bit of an obstacle. Right? We run into an obstacle. We run into somebody that, that's mean to us. We run into a, a situation that's not that good. And all of a sudden we stop seeking after God. We stop praying. But faith, faith says, I'm going to keep going even if I don't see an answer. I'm going to keep asking even if I don't hear the right answer. I'm going to just keep asking until I get what God has for me. The second thing that, that James tells us is he says, not only is it a prayer of faith, but he says that it's the prayer of a righteous man. And so I want to look at what that means, because I think a lot of times when we think of being righteous, we think of being perfect. But that's not at all what the Bible says righteousness is. As a matter of fact, Jesus keeps telling us a story. And so he says this in Luke 18, 9 through 14. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. In other words, there were some folks in the crowd listening to Jesus 
that were very confident that they were perfect, that they had everything going on, and they were looking down on everybody else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader. The other was a despised tax collector, somebody that everybody hates. The Pharisee took him, uh, stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. So the, the religious guy, we talk about religion versus relationship. Jesus is going to paint us a really good picture of it right here. The religious guy is very proud of the fact that he can fast twice a week and he tithes. And he wants to look down on everybody else. At least I'm not like that guy, right? He's always pointing, sorry, Doug, I keep pointing at you saying that guy and tax collector and sinner. Maybe God's trying to speak to you today, Doug. I don't know. Something's happening over here. So then the tax collector, the Bible says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, God, be merciful to me because I am a sinner. I tell you this, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. If you've got a real Bible today, you want to highlight that word justified. If you've got a fake Bible, um, you want to tap on it and highlight that too. Verse 14, highlight that one. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When I was studying over this, I, I began to look at the word justified and what does that mean? And the word justified means to be made righteous by God. I love that. Jesus said there's one God that thinks he's righteous. There's another God that is made righteous by God. He knows he's not righteous, but because of the way he approaches me in prayer, he becomes righteous. I make him righteous. Why? Because he's humble and he's repentant. He gets it. He knows he's a sinner. He knows he's done wrong, but he's willing to admit it. He's willing to confess it. He's willing to humble himself. The, the word um, humility there, or the word humble there in this, in, in this context means two things. One, it means that you empty out your ego. And two, it means you fully depend on God. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and we were talking about a mutual friend and, and, and they, were, they were talking about people having marriage troubles and, and, and my friend Adrian, he said, you know, he said, one of the things I tell people when it comes to marriage is he says, when you walk through the door, you leave your ego outside. You can't have an ego in a relationship with your spouse. The same is true with God. When we have a relationship with him, we have to learn to leave our ego behind and we have to fully depend on God. When we walk humbly, God will make us righteous. We don't have to do it ourselves. It's not about all the different things that you do. It's about how you walk before God. When you walk humbly and you're repentant, God will make you righteous. And at that point, your prayers become powerful and effective. Notice that the Pharisees' prayers aren't even heard. It's, it's the tax collector. It's the Doug, right? It's that guy whose prayers are heard over the religious guy. And that's what's important for us to understand today. It's not about being perfect. It's about being humble. And then the third thing that, that uh, James tells us is we have to have earnest prayer. In the King James Version, the Bible, instead of saying earnest, it says, uh, it says effectually fervent. And, and that word there means that we are passionate, that we are serious, and that we expect something to happen. 
In Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus tells us how this looks, what this looks like, because it's more of an attitude thing. It's more of a heart thing. And so here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. I want to quickly go through, and this is how we'll end the message today. I want to go through ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Because asking, seeking, and knocking make up that fervent prayer. Make up that passionate prayer. Because these are all action terms that we've got to have, right? And so, so Jesus is going to explain some of this stuff to us. I'm going to read some scriptures, kind of go through it. The first one is we have to ask. Jesus says if you ask, then you're going to get an answer, right? You've got to be willing to ask. In Philippians 4, 6, in the NIV, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We have to go to God in prayer and tell him what we want. I know that seems silly because God knows everything, but there's something about expressing it. From the very beginning, the Bible says that words are important. The Bible says that God created the world, how? By words. He spoke the world into existence. When Jesus raises the dead, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, what does he do? He speaks life into Lazarus. There's this place where words are important. And so whenever we come into God and we say, yeah, but I'm just a silent prayer. That's fine. I get it. God can read your mind and your thoughts and your heart. I understand that. But there's something powerful in learning how to express And ask and talk to God. Verbalize your prayers. I told you earlier that I write down my prayers, and that's true. But I'm also speaking them out. There's something about speaking out my prayers to God that just make it sink in. Maybe it's just for me, but it sinks in. It makes it real to me. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. Have you ever had one of those moments? Like, God, I'm in this situation. I don't even know how to pray about it. Perry and I one time went through a situation where we were, we were at a church and, and the pastor had left and so a new pastor had come in and, and like in a lot of businesses or, or organizations, when a new leadership, when there's leadership change, the new leadership may want their own staff and their own crew to come in and so um, we understood that we were on the way out but the way we were being treated wasn't, we didn't feel like very fair. And so we didn't know where to go. We didn't know what to do. We, we were, we've been at this church our, you know, for a long, long time. And, and so now we're stuck in this place of, of having to move and uproot our family and uproot our lives. And, and we just didn't know what to do. And I remember, I remember every night like getting up out of the bed and going into the spare bedroom in our little trailer. And, and, and I would go into the spare bedroom and I'd just lay on the floor and I'd just pray. And I wouldn't even know what to pray. It would be one of those kind of moments. I'm like, God, I, I'm just at a loss here. I don't know what to pray. I don't even know how to pray for the situation. So we've all had those moments. We've all had those moments where where somebody's sick or somebody's dying or you're going through a tragedy and you don't know what to pray. Here's what's so cool. In Romans chapter 8, we talked earlier about, Pastor Jonathan talked earlier about the Holy Spirit, you know, working in us and living in us and through us. And here's what the Bible says in Romans 8, 26 and 27. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example... We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays 
for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Even if you don't know what to pray, the Spirit inside you knows what to pray. Because the Bible says when the Spirit of God lives in me, He knows exactly what God knows. So He knows exactly how to pray through me. The second thing, the second action that Jesus teaches us is he says you've got to seek. And whenever, whenever I was first studying over this, I was thinking about the word seek. And I, I thought about, you know, whenever I'm asking, I'm asking about something I don't have and, and, and when, or I, I don't know. And when I'm seeking, I'm seeking after something I don't have. And so I thought maybe this is this idea that I'm praying about stuff and there's something I need to, to receive from God. But as I began to study, I started noticing that whenever he says seek, just about every commentator that I studied, one of the things they said is they always went back to it wasn't seeking things, it was seeking somebody. It was always about seeking God. And so there's three things that we seek. We seek his face in Psalm chapter 27, verse 8. In the NIV, it says, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. In the New, Te- in the New Living Translation, it says, My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. When we seek his face, we are seeking a relationship with him. We're seeking his his presence. And when we seek his face, that's better than seeking his stuff. How often do people seek the things of God and not God himself? How would you like it if your kids or your spouse only wanted what you could give them. They didn't want to be with you. God says, I want to be with you. I want you to ask, but then I want you to seek. I want you to seek me more than you seek my blessings and more than you seek my gifts. We seek his will. In Matthew 26, verse 39, Jesus is about to die on the cross and he's praying before he goes to the cross. And he says this, um, he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done not mine. What are we seeking? We're seeking a relationship with him. We're seeking his will in our life. And then in Matthew 6, 33 says, we seek his kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. It's so important. It's not about seeking my stuff. When I pray, when I pray for you, I shouldn't be praying for you so that I look good. I shouldn't be praying for you even that you would look good. I should pray for you that God looks good. When I pray for you to be healed, my goal isn't that people would look at me and say, look at that powerful and effective, righteous man. My goal isn't just that you would feel good. My goal is that God would get glory for a miracle done in your life. When I pray, I pray to get into his presence. If nothing else happens, but I experience his presence, then that has become a powerful and effective prayer time. Whether it was five minutes or an hour, it doesn't matter. It matters that I'm seeking his face. And here's the thing I've noticed in my life. Whenever I learn to seek his face, he takes care of everything else that I may have forgotten to pray about. When I, when I take Um, When I take time to seek after God, to seek the Father, not the gifts, then the gifts tend to come when they need to be there. The third action that Jesus gives us is we got to knock. And that's the action of persistence. When I think about knocking, I just think about 
Obviously, someone's standing at a door, right? You're trying to get in. You just keep knocking. You keep knocking. I remember one time, my buddy was getting married, and and uh, and and he was getting married, and, and so we did a we did a, a bachelor party for as much of a bachelor party as five Christian guys that don't do anything uh, can can have, right? Like. I don't know what we did, probably watched movies, played video games, and went and slept in a hotel room. And so that night we went to this hotel room, and, and as we're all going to the room, the, the guy at the desk gives us the key, tells us the room number. We go up. It's probably 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and we go to the hotel, and we're trying to get in, and the door, it clicks, and it unlocks, but there was something jamming it, and so we just keep banging on the door and banging on the door and banging on the door and banging on the door, and finally my friend who was... 6'4", and about 280 pounds, a uh, former football player. He just puts his shoulder into the door, and as he does, he breaks the lock off the inside of the door. And that's when it hit us. There was a lock on the inside of the door. Some of you, it'll catch on here in just a second. You don't lock the inside of the door from the outside. There was a couple in there trying to sleep. And here these five dudes just come busting into their room at 3 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the morning. And they were screaming and yelling and calling the cops. And we're just like, well, we had the key, you know, and we didn't know. I I wish I could say that we had done a bunch of bad stuff and that we were uh, not in our right mind. But we were absolutely sober, just stupid, just absolutely stupid. But it makes me think about that whenever I go to God and I just, it's about persistence. It's about knocking and knocking and knocking. And it's not about being annoying. There's a difference in being annoying and, 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 and being persistent. The idea is being persistent that I'm not going to give up. Even if the door's locked, I'm going to keep on knocking. Even if the door doesn't open, I'm going to keep on knocking. Yeah, but Gabriel, what if it takes a year? Then I just keep on knocking. What if it takes 18 years? I keep on knocking. I don't quit. I don't give up. Why? Because he's already told me to be faithful, that a faithful prayer life is powerful and effective. And then he told me to knock and keep on knocking. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say knock until your hand gets sore. He didn't say knock until until you feel like quitting. He said knock, even if it doesn't open, you keep knocking. Because eventually the door is going to open for you. How many of you know uh, Hank Dempsey? Anybody ever heard of Hank Dempsey? Hank Dempsey's a pilot, 1987. Hank was flying this little flight from somewhere in Maine to Boston. And he had a small airplane, a 14-passenger airplane. No passengers on the plane. They just had some cargo. They're just doing a little run. And, um, and as they're flying, they start, he and his co-pilot, they start hearing a noise back in the back of the plane, like air moving in the back of the plane. So Hank gives control to his co-pilot. Hank walks back to the back to realize that the back door was not latched properly. Something was wrong with the back door. About the time Hank figured out that the back door was not latched properly, they hit some turbulence. Hank falls into the door and the door flies open. They're at 4,000 feet in the air and Hank falls out of the airplane. The co-pilot looks back. He sees the the open door, and he immediately calls the Coast Guard and says, listen, send helicopters, I'm out over this particular bay. My pilot just fell out of the plane, he's in the water somewhere, you've got to go find him. The co-pilot decides that he's going to 
make an emergency landing. He finds an airstrip that he can land at. And as he begins to land the plane, uh, the, the door was still kind of barely hanging on. The door hits the ground, rips off, and, and they land the plane. And whenever everybody came out to the plane to, to check on the co-pilot and see what was going on, guess who they found hanging on the side of the plane? Hank Dempsey had fallen out of that door, caught the door frame with his foot, and his other hand, he grabbed um, a chain that, like when the door opened, there was like a stairwell that went down with a little chain. That chain had broken off. He's grabbing the chain with one hand, hanging on with his foot with the other hand. When the plane hit and the door ripped off, it shot him up a little bit enough to where he could get in a fetal position and just hang on for dear life. He spent 10 minutes at 4,000 feet in the air going 200 miles an hour hanging on to the side of an airplane. That's nuts. I wish this was a fake story, but it's not. As a matter of fact, the, the, the emergency people that came out there, the EMTs, they had to literally uh, pry his fingers off of the chain. He had held on so tightly for so long that they had kind of frozen to the chain. I say that to say this. We don't give up. We don't quit. Even in a bad circumstance, we keep praying. You know how many times I've had to counsel with people that have said, I've given up on God? And I'll say, why? Well, because I prayed a prayer one time and it didn't get answered. I, I was seeking an answer that I didn't get. I was seeking a miracle that it never showed up. And what happened was they gave up too quickly. What if Hank would have said at nine minutes, I'm tired of holding on to this chain? All he had to do was hold on for one more minute. He made it, right? What if at nine minutes he gave up? What if he let go? He dies. We've got to hang on. We've got to keep praying. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, it says, Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Never stop praying. Some versions say, uh, pray without ceasing. And, and we think that means I'm just always praying all the time. No, no, no. It means that when I start praying about something, I hold on like a bulldog. I don't let go. I keep praying and I keep praying and I keep praying. Not that I'm praying for 24 hours continuous. It means that every day I keep coming back and I keep knocking on that door. And I keep saying, God, I haven't given up. God, I haven't quit. I know my family member's not saved. I know, I know I need a healing in my body. I know this person's going to hell. God, I know I need a miracle in my job. But God, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep hanging on. I'm not going to stop praying. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? This is where I want to bring the message to you today. I want to end with that thought. Now, there may be some other things that God's doing in your life today. Maybe for some of you, you're saying, I, I just need to start praying, like, period. I need to just start praying. And if that's you, man, that's awesome. I'm so glad that for some of you, you may need to start praying. It's easy. It's not hard. It's just like talking to, talking to a friend. Like I said before, grab a journal, grab a notebook. Just write down your prayers. That's an easy way to start. We make prayer so hard. We tell people, you got to pray for two hours every morning at 5 a.m. That's so dumb. Don't do that. Just start somewhere. Start simple. Start with something. Make it easy. Get going. 
But there may be some of you today, and this is where I really want to bring the message, where I really think we need to hit home today, is this idea of not giving up. Because I feel like there's some folks that you've given up on prayer. You've given up on God. You've given up on that faithfulness because you didn't see what you wanted to see in the time frame that you wanted to see it. One last little story, and I promise I'll be quiet. When Perry and I moved to Birmingham, when we first moved to Birmingham, we were trying to sell a house in Mobile at a time when the housing market was down. We just couldn't sell it, man. I mean, nobody. People would come look at it. We'd get no offers whatsoever. And I remember Perry and I sitting in, our, in, in the bedroom, and uh, we were laying in bed, and um, we began to, she was just telling me, she said, I'm just, I don't know what to do. She said, I'm so scared. I'm so worried. I'm, our house isn't selling. What are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. We'd already dropped the price multiple times, and and I said, babe, all we, get, all we can do is pray. Like, that's the only thing I know to do is pray. And so we begin to pray. And, and in our prayer, here's what we said. We said, God, we're not going to give up on you. We're not going to quit on you. If you would just give us a sliver of hope, just, just give us a little hope, something to hold on to, right? We're falling out of this plane. If you'll just give me a chain to hold on to, I'm good. Like, that's all I need. And the next day, we got a call from the real estate agent saying that, that there was an offer on the house. You know, we didn't even take that offer. We just kept praying. I mean, it wasn't even, it was like one of these weird things that God just wanted to give us a little bit of hope. Say, hey, keep praying. Don't give up. It was funny. We ended up having uh, two people make offers on the house at the same time. And they got into a bidding war. And they bid the house up to the original asking price. And then they bid it past the original asking price. The craziest thing. What happened? We didn't give up. We didn't quit. It took, it took probably five or six months of praying for that house to sell, but we just didn't give up and we didn't quit. We kept hanging on. There may be a miracle in your life. There may be a, a question that you need answered. There may be a door you need to walk through. There, there may be something that you need from God today, and, and you're right there, nine minutes in, one minute to go, and you're wanting to let go, and I'm telling you today, hold on. Why don't you close your eyes with me this morning. Lord, I love you and I thank you. I thank you for everybody in this room. I thank you for those watching online. I thank you, God. God, I thank you for the reality that we want to give up sometimes. The reality is we want to quit sometimes. But your word says that we got to keep on knocking. I thank you for faith and perseverance. I thank you for righteousness, God, that we don't make ourselves righteous, but we come to you humbly and repentant and you make us righteous. So, God, we can kick that barrier out of the way to think that, that we're not good enough, God. If we know we're not good enough, then you make us good enough. So, God, we come before you today, and I just pray for each and every person in this room that may be struggling or dealing with, with, with this, this miracle that they need, this, this answer that they need, God. I pray today that you would strengthen them. If that's you this morning, nobody's looking around, but if you're saying, Gabriel, I need God to move in my life, and I'm struggling to hold on today. If that you just slip your hand up, let me see it. Yes, yes, yes. Lots of people, myself included. God, I just pray for us right now that you would give us the faith, the faithfulness to keep on knocking, to keep on rocking. God, to keep on loving you, to keep on praying. God, to never give up. God, to keep on. God, to hold on whenever things get tight. I pray that you would give us that strength today. God, I pray for those that are hurting today, that are broken today, that are missing that that that. That mark, they're just saying, God, I just can't see it. 
I pray that you give them a sliver of hope. Give them the chain on the side of the airplane, God. Give them that that phone call from the real estate agent that we got. God, give them that one little sliver that they need, God, to just keep on holding on. We love you and we thank you, Father God. We thank you for answering our prayers and listening to our hearts. And even as we're praying right now, guys, I just want you to know, maybe you're not serving God today. Maybe in the course of this message you realize that, hey, I'm not, I'm more like that tax collector than, than I thought I was. Maybe I'm not serving God the way that I should. Maybe, maybe I haven't given Him everything I've got. Maybe I do have some sin that I'm just holding on to, a, a lifestyle that I know I need to let go of. If that's you, I want to give you hope today that God loves you and He will justify you if you come to Him humbly and repentant. So God, we just repent. We repent of our sins. We turn away from it, God. Our goal today is to find you. Our goal today is to seek your face, to seek your presence above all else. And so God, today we want to serve you and we want to love you and we want to accept you as our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.